We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Some people like to mess with you, of course, when you're doing the preaching and stuff, and they're like, is this going to be shorter? It's only two verses, like, surely you can't. You know I'm not going to let it be shorter than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask for wisdom, guidance, and direction. We want to understand the gospel. We know that it is... Sometimes the things that we're most familiar with are the easiest to misunderstand. And sometimes we know that there are people that um, go to church for a really, really long time and never understand this. And we, we need your help in that. We need you to open hearts to see and understand. We need your spirit to awaken people to the truth. We need spiritual insight. and We know that that is something that you have to give us. We ask for you to do that. We ask for those who may be lost here today without Christ, without any true hope in him. We pray that you would hope, give them hope today, that they would believe, that they would treasure what you have said to us through your word, that this gospel would be something that is a present possession for them. We, Lord, we know there are a lot of children in our church that have grown up around the faith but may not have truly embraced the faith. We ask that you would open their hearts today and they would hear and believe. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. So in his name we pray, amen. So we are looking at chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And if you were to think about it, you can think of it in terms of um, maybe verse 14 is kind of when, you know, his public ministry began, where it began, and how it began. That may be something you could just kind of frame in your mind. And then in verse 15, when you're thinking about it, you want to think about the message of Jesus' public ministry. Because that's really important to grasp. And so I think uh, both of those, those two things you will see as we move forward and hopefully uh, you'll kind of pick those up and then we'll kind of work through that. I was thinking this week about this text and about the gospel and the transforming work of the gospel in lives and how uh, sometimes um, you could be around church stuff and church people and maybe not really um, see like or be around people that are really passionate about the things of God like they don't they're really passionate maybe even about church but not about the Lord and um, I, I, I was uh, there were certainly uh, pivotal moments in my life um, that I, I was around like Christian people and for the first time I thought I'm really excited about these things and they are too and I'm getting to talk with these people and it was wonderful and um I think for some of us, maybe uh, 
and I hope this church is different, we, I, I think we are, that, that you would come here and you'd say, like, these people believe these things. They love these things, you know, and they enjoy the Lord. But anyway, when I was young at 19, I went to a Bible college, and I remember visiting with these young people, and they had just, most of them had just graduated high school, and they were going to do all kinds of stuff. They were going to work in a lot of different industries. They weren't necessarily training for ministry. Uh, they just wanted to study the Bible for a year, and so that's what they did. And they went and studied the Bible for one year, and then uh, they went on to pursue the other pursuits that, uh, that they felt like the Lord was guiding them to do. But it was really interesting. They were ordinary Christians who really loved the gospel. You know, they weren't just going to church because they kind of thought it was a good thing. They, they actually treasured the things of God. And I, I really, it was a, a powerful thing for me. And then I went from there into... Uh, for a season um, of my life, I was in youth ministry, and there, there was a, it was almost like a shift there where I felt like I stepped into, at least when I got around the broader kind of youth ministry leadership people, it felt more like uh, a place for entertainment and programming and marketing, you know? And so it was interesting because, you know, I kind of left that setting and went into this other setting. And, and I think it's important for us to constantly remind ourselves, like, we are about satisfying people's souls with the greatest thing that you could possibly satisfy their soul with, and that is uh, in the gospel. That's where it's found. And so we are unpacking that for people every week because we believe that is what really will satisfy your soul and the souls of your children. We're trying to train them and help them grow up into the things of God. And so we really exist to try to do that. And so we're going to look at it today, but just remind yourself that that is what we're doing. Jesus' public ministry is on display here, and we're going to see kind of the heart of that. And we're going to say, like, well, do we, are we lining up with that, you know? And do we believe that? Do we love that? Do we treasure uh, the things of God? And so just think about that in terms of the focus this morning, the when, where, and how of Jesus' public ministry, and then the what. You can answer it that way, and that will help you. And then the main point would be something like this. Repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom, and then repeat. That, does that repent, believe the gospel, and repeat the rest of your life, you know? And so that, that helps me kind of think about it in those terms. So what do you think, Sorry, Are you down with that? Okay, all right. He looked at me, and I was like, okay, all right, let's go. So verse 14, this is the win of Jesus' ministry. You're going to see now after John was arrested, and, and one of the things that's, you say, what well, is that important? Well, in Matthew four twelve through seventeen and Luke four fourteen through twenty one, there'll be talk about that in, in in his kind of coming into the kingdom and him coming into or, or coming into like announce the kingdom and do his public ministry. But John does a very simple thing. He, I mean, sorry, Mark does a very simple thing. He just says, "When John was done, Jesus steps on the scenes," and we know that he was the forerunner. He was the one that was going to share with others about that Jesus had come, and he says, "Prepare yourself for that." repent like get prepared like like turn away from your your sinfulness and turn to him he's coming it's it's on the scenes and later if you wanted to you can look at mark 6 uh, 14 through 32 and you will see that john the baptist you know how he dies and all those things but at the heart of this is just saying john the baptist has come he has announced the coming of the king and now the king's here so that's when it was according to plan that, that's important to say to yourself. It is according to plan. It's executed flawlessly. He does his work, 
he fades. Jesus comes into the, the forefront, which is what should be the case. So Jesus came into Galilee, which is another thing. John's not going to, I mean, sorry, I keep saying John. Mark's not going to say that uh, much about that. But just you, you just want to know, and, and as we said, we're not going to look at every time every other gospel writer speaks of something. But one of the things you kind of want to note here is Galilee is a place where it's like in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Like both of those kind of come to the fore and you're like, who are those people? And those were the tribes of Israel and they were apportioned a certain amount of land. And so what you find out about them is they were a part of the northern ten tribes that were taken away uh, and never really returned. And then so in those northern ten tribes, Jesus goes into that place. Now here's the deal with that place. That place is, um, uh, has a lot of Gentile people, people that were not Jewish people. And those people were, um, really what would happen is like the Assyrians would come in, they'd take a portion of the people out, send them away, and then they would bring in new people. And then those people, the goal would be to like lose your national identity. They would kind of intermarry, and then it's kind of left over. You know, these people, there might have some Jewish kind of nationalism in their mind, but very few of them probably would. And so there's some Jews there, but a lot of Gentiles there, and then a lot of people that were kind of blended, Jew and Gentile. And so that's kind of the area that he went in. It was not the place you would think of Messiah coming. You'd think of Messiah coming into Jerusalem, where the people who, they did go into exile for 70 years, but when they come back, they come back as the people of God, you know. So that's kind of the northern region is something that was uh, an area where most people would say something like, can anything good come out of that area? Like, remember, they said that about Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, I mean, it's like these people, you know, they're not the people you would pick. So Isaiah 9, though, verses 1 through 3 will speak of that. That in the latter times, that these people, there would be a, a great light that came upon these people. So it's prophetic. Jesus is going to come out of this place. This place in great darkness, Isaiah 9 will speak of. We'll see this great light. The prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begins here in the dark places and he shows up. And he comes on the scenes. Now, the how would be another thing. You say, well, how does this, him coming into his ministry, what, what does that look like? I mean, how's that working? Pro, he's proclaiming the gospel of God. He is preaching. Paul calls preaching like the, like it's foolishness. You know, it's not like maybe the best way to really communicate things, you know. Uh, it, it would be something of, of, you know, maybe there's other ways to entertain people. But proclamation, preaching, is just expounding on what's already there. It's not any kind of, it's not as exciting in the sense of uh, you're not coming up with some new thing that nobody's ever heard. You're saying the same thing they've heard, you know. But Jesus, has, they've, it's been proclaimed through the prophets, of course, and John the Baptist has been announcing this, and he comes in this way, this method of madness, you might say, by some people's estimation. He, but he comes in, he's preaching, uh, and he's preaching to them the gospel of God. Now, 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, that's what we are to re- continue to do. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, 
and with complete patience and teaching. Just do that. Just preach the word. Now, this, this gospel that he's preaching, as we said, is good news. It's the gospel of God. It is the message that God has been preaching to us throughout, like from Genesis 3.15 on. It's the message. The message that God was going to redeem us through the seed of Abraham. And this blessing would come as, as it continues. You see that forming. And through the son, you know, he's the son of David through David's line. And it just keeps focusing in on explaining to us that this is what's going to happen. And so we see the when, where, and how of Jesus' ministry. And it reminds us, like, it is an example to us. It's something we want to say, this is important. We want to follow that. It's repeated by the Apostle Paul. That's what we do. We explain the message of the gospel. So what is that message? That kind of leads us to verse 15. What It's kind of the what of Jesus' ministry. What is the message? What's at the heart of it? So let's look. And he's saying, the time is fulfilled. Now what, is that, what does that make you stop and think about? It means that there must have been a plan. And then the plan's being enacted. That there was a certain amount of time, and then it's coming to fruition. What does that tell me? That God is in control of history. That, that, that's what it says to us. Listen to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God is in charge of this. This is His plan. Salvation history is God's redemptive plan. He is executing it flawlessly. Jesus did not come too early, and He did not come too late. Sometimes when a child is on the way in a family and they're waiting, we say, well, this is the due date. Could the child come early? Yes. Could the child come late? Not generally in our times. They're not going to want to wait. But the deal is, is you understand this is the perfect time. He is in control of history. God is doing what he does, and that is orchestrating the events of history. Now, some people like to spend time talking about, well, God was waiting until... You know, there were roads that passed through, you know, all the areas of the world. And he had this universal language. And certainly in the providence of God, those things are there. But really at the heart of it is, is that God is doing this. He is arch, he's the architect of this plan. And he is executing it throughout salvation history, as I mentioned earlier. And it really does. It's, we're introduced to it in Genesis 3.15 in the first what you could call evangelistic message. And then step by step, God is unveiling his plan progressively. And you get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And you get to see it on display. He's unveiling it through time. And so we have to see that and, and understand that and stop and consider and say God is doing his, his work, his way, in his time. In the same way, I think we look at the second coming and you say, God's going to orchestrate that. And there's some people that spend so much time talking about what the second coming, what's happening in the world, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, look, God in his perfect time, Jesus is going to return. And we can trust that, and we know that, and that's, that's a blessing to us. So in his perfect time, we could say, 
the message is brought to us. In the same way you see somebody, I, I mean, I've met tons of people that have said to me, I was walking along through life, had heard the gospel message a lot, but one day, all of a sudden, it was as if God stood in front of me and he said, you're mine, you know? And for the first time, I believed and understood and grasped the, the message of the gospel. I, I saw it, and, and, and even though I was around it, I never really grasp it and so he's going to say this time has come for this this gospel message that God has been proclaiming is now coming as we said in a person in the Lord Jesus and he says the kingdom of God is at hand now some of you might say what is that the kingdom of God well when you think about the kingdom of God you think about a king and you think about rule right the king rules the king is he is over all he's the sovereign ruler of the universe the king is over everything and it is his rule that is on this display here so the first thing you might say though is like well i thought god's always ruling isn't god always in charge of the world that he made the answer of course he is so in a broad sense you could say the kingdom of god when we think about it you could say one thing you could say is one in, in the broadest sense, he does rule over everything. I need to know that. Like, he's in charge of the whole world. You say, well, I don't know if he is or not. You know, it's like, okay, well, Psalm 93 says the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is, is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. What is it saying? God's in control of his world. This is my Father's world. That song we sing is true. It's His. So again, we're looking at this and we're saying, okay, what is the message? The message is, is that kingdom has come. Now, another passage I would just write down for you if you wanted to put, you can look at Daniel 4, 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, learned that this is God's world. Everything in it is His. He reigns over all. Now you say, well, hold on just a second. If he's reigning over all, what about the rebellion that we see in this world? Is he over that? Is God still reigning even though we see uh, rebellion in this world? The answer is yes. He still reigns. Hasn't changed. Nebuchadnezzar learned that God reigned over everything even though he knew that he was a sinner and rebelled. So, continuing on, the kingdom of God, when you narrow it down, thinking about the text, what he's saying is, and, and I read it or this week, someone said it's like his redemptive rule. That's kind of what we're looking at here. So when you're thinking about the kingdom of God here, you're thinking about his redemptive rule, because we're trying to answer the question is, what is the message? The message is the time is now, the kingdom of God is here, or is near, or is at hand. You could say. So what are we talking about? His present redemptive rule. You're thinking in terms of God has been talking about the coming of his kingdom. 
Meaning that, remember, after Adam and Eve fell, like, like they're cast out of the garden, and life after the fall looks very different than pre-fall, right? And so God says, I'm going to rescue this world. So you're kind of waiting, and you see glimpses of his rescue all the way through the Bible. You see it from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12 to Genesis 22.18, and I'll just read Genesis 22.18. It says, And in your offspring shall all the nations, speaking of Abraham, of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. What he's saying is, Abraham, he he called Abraham out of the darkness into the light. Abraham hears this call. He believes the Lord. He trusts him. And the Lord says, Through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What's he saying? He's saying that the world is in turmoil, And I'm going to bring about a restoration of things. And this is what you hear in Galatians 3 about that. Because what we're saying is, he's saying, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. The message here is that. Now, again, he has been working out this plan. But Galatians says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. What's he saying? He is saying, listen, Christ is that one. One of the texts in Galatians says that he is the seed of Abraham. He is the one that God had made this promise that he would come, and now he's come. The kingdom of God is at hand in the person of Jesus Christ. So I think that's just, we need to stop and consider that because I think all of the ills of the fall, all that Satan has done and sought to establish in order to tear down or discredit God's kingdom will be confronted. Jesus is going to show us that he has authority over sin, disease, demons, death, lies, nature. I mean, you'd make a list of all the things and you say, man, this, when this kingdom comes on the scene, the king comes, when he shows up, what happens? He's reversing the curse. All the brokenness. All the messed up stuff. You're seeing glimpse over and over and over. You're seeing this thing of like, hold on just a second. He is changing things. His presence changes stuff. His, his coming on the scene's like, It is really, you see him binding the powers and the evil and the darkness. You see him doing that. Matthew 12, 28 says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is is announcing this and he's coming. And as he comes, again, you see what the king does. And what the king does is he is disarming all the rulers and authorities, all the powers, all the darkness, all the evil, all the things that frighten you, all the things that you worry about, all those things, Jesus is showing, I have authority over those things. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. So it's just important to understand that. Jesus comes, His present redemptive reign is like this. God's always reigned over the world. But God has made a promise to restore this hostile old world that's in rebellion, and He's going to do that, and He does it through His Son. So the kingdom of God is at hand, and that is what is taking place. Now, you might say, 
if you took a little bit further step, you would say, and the fullness of that is yet to come. We're, we, haven't, we haven't experienced it in its fullness. The kingdom came, what we would say oftentimes is, it was inaugurated in the first coming. It will be consummated in the second. It's already, not, but not yet. I've already experienced the forgiveness of sins. I've already experienced the work of the Spirit in my life. I've already uh, know that like I'm adopted into His family, but the fullness of that is yet to come. I've only experienced the first fruits of what the kingdom is like. I, I'm not one of those people when we are not as a church telling you, look, if you just believe enough, everything in your life is going to be perfect. What we would say is you keep on believing because ultimately in the end, everything is going to be perfect and it is going to be right and He's going to restore all those things. So the kingdom of God is at hand and in its final form, restoration for everything. What you saw in glimpses through the coming of the King. And you see now, you see now the kingdom at work and lives and in your maybe in your own life. One day in the future, you will see it totally and completely restored. Now, the message. I mean, you're thinking about that when you're looking at it and you're looking at this text and you're thinking, okay, what is verse 15 about? Jesus is coming on the scenes, and you just got to think about that when you're looking at it. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and what? What's the message? Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the message. That, that's the, and that's not the, that is the, the call that comes with that message, you might say. That's the, that's the response to that message. Some of you here, again, may think, well, um, I, I like Jesus. I think that's a great, there's great little stories he tells. And look how he deals with the children. And I love that he's like, um, uh, uh, like he fights with those religious people. You know, all those kind. you know, whatever. You could come up with a lot of different things that you like about Jesus. But you understand, he is king. He's the king. And when the king speaks, you need to respond. There is a response. If you choose to not respond, you are not on the side of the king. You, you remember even when the angel of the Lord, Joshua meets the angel of the Lord, and he's standing there, and Joshua is like ready to fight him. You know, He's like, whose side are you on? And he says, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? That's a big question for you. Whose side are you on? Because the king wields the sword. The king is the ruler of all. He owns it all. It's his. The king like is coming to say like demonstrate even though he's reigned forever and ever and ever, he is coming in space and time and he's demonstrating I am the king. You're not the king. Your family's not the king. Your whatever you, you know little thing that you're over that doesn't mean you're king. He's the king. And the king commands you to repent and believe. He is demanding that of you. He is coming as a, he's coming in, in, his, in his kindness because of his mercy. 
He is coming and He is calling you to turn from your sin, to trust in Him. When you think about saving faith and saving repentance, they go together. If you genuinely come to a place where you are, you understand how desperate your situation is, you are like the old tax collector beating his chest saying, woe is me. When you come to that, if, if you come like the Pharisee, like saying, I'm glad I'm not like all those people. You know, I mean, there's some of you that maybe that is where you are. God, I'm glad I'm not like all those people. God, I'm, God, I'm glad I'm not like my wife. God, I'm glad I'm not like those rebellious little children. God, I'm glad I'm not like those people that I work with. God, I'm glad that I'm not da-da-da-da-da. You're not understanding something. The king calls on people not in looking at them and saying like, oh, look how great you are. Come into my kingdom. I want great people like you. That's not how it comes. He says, repent. Why? Because you are a desperate sinner in need of a Savior. You are a desperately wicked, the Scripture says. You are by nature a child of wrath, the Scripture says. Repent is something He calls you to because you need a total change of life. You need a totally transformed life. You need to go in a totally new direction. That's why... That's what he's saying. You need to go in a way that you have never gone before. He is saying you've got to turn away. It's not just an agreement with God about your sin. It's not just that you're agreeing that Jesus is the Savior. You need to turn away from your wickedness. And repentance is something that is an absolute change. A total change. Matthew 3, verse 8, Jesus says to the Pharisees, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What's He saying? He's saying true repentance comes with fruit because true repentance reveals a change of the root of your heart. That, that's what it... It's changed that. True repentance reveals something of... A work in you. Something that you can't even really do for yourself. Paul says that about some people that were giving Timothy trouble, perhaps God would grant repentance. That He would grant it. That they would see it. That would be a prayer we would have for our own children. God, grant them repentance. When you get on your knees and pray for your children's souls, you want them to see how desperate they are and how needy they are. If they're sitting there proud and arrogant and they think like, yeah, I'll take Jesus sometimes. I, oh, oh, I'll pray that prayer if it'll get me into heaven and I get like nice little things. It's like, no, He's calling you to repent. And, and the prayer is in our hearts, our God like so changed them that they might turn. They literally will go in a different direction. 
They're turning away from their wickedness and their sinfulness. But it's not just like, stop being bad and everything's good with God. That's not the Gospel message. Stop being bad and do more good and you'll be good with God. That is not Gospel. That is not the Gospel message. He says, repent and believe. You are believing, you're relying on, you're trusting in, you're forsaking everything else and putting your the object of your trust is centered in Jesus Christ. It is not trusting in Jesus and yourself simultaneously. It's not like you're saying Jesus is a God and I kind of am. And so together, I'll hope in that. It is trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. It is believing the good news that He alone is Savior. It is believing that the King has come. He is going to live. He is going to die. He is going to rise again. And if you align yourself with Him, you too will get the benefits of His life, of His death, of His resurrection, and you will be with Him one day. Repent and believe. The Gospel. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted, interesting term, to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer. Saving faith is granted to you. We pray, oh God, give our, the hearts of our... Like I, I thought a lot about our children... The hearts of our children, such a change of direction, such a recognition of their absolute waywardness and neediness of the gospel, and then help them by your, by your grace and for your glory to believe and hold fast to the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had with you and how you turn to God. Belief. From idols, repentance, to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. When the King is calling you, repent and believe the Gospel, it's so you won't go to hell. It's so that you won't be damned. It's so that you won't find yourself on the wrong side of the sword. When He returns, He will judge all who have lived outside of Christ. They will eternally perish in the, the, the lake of fire, the Scripture says. There is no hope for you in the end if you have not aligned yourself with Jesus. If you have not turned away from your wickedness and your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ, there is no hope for you. But if you have, the Scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are commanded to repent and believe. And then you're commissioned to live a life as an ambassador of the king. When someone truly, by God's grace, repents and believes the gospel, they keep on repenting and believing the gospel. 
I think that's important to say. You repeat. It's it's not a. It's not one of those things where you say, "Oh, I, I believe that," and then I left it. If you come to me and say, "Oh, I believe the gospel once," and then I just do whatever I want to do, but I know I'm going to heaven, I'll be like, "You are lying. You are lying. There is no hope for you." You are trusting, really, probably in your decision and not in Jesus. Which is a dangerous thing. There are some people that are trusting in their decision and not in the gospel. Your decision's not the gospel. Jesus came, He lived, He died, He rose again so that you could be restored and be in right relationship with God. You are trusting in Him, not in yourself. But if repentance and faith are not on repeat in your life. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Because the gospel is a command that He is calling you to believe on Him and to continue to believe throughout eternity. I think it's dangerous when we preach a gospel that does not call you to believe, to repent and believe the rest of your life. That is a dangerous message. Some of you may this morning say, you know what? (laughs) I don't know that I've ever really embraced that gospel. I don't know if I've ever submitted to the king. I don't know that my hope is in him. Believe on Him. Turn from your sins. Trust in Him. Some of us here have friends that we know. And they're nice people. We like going to work out with them. Or go to parties with them. Or hang out with them. Or they're kind of funny to work with and enjoyable. And you know. You know in your heart. I don't... It it just... Everything in me thinks like it doesn't, it's not, they don't believe the message. They don't love the Savior. Christ calls his people who are repenting and believing to be ambassadors. To be ambassadors of the king. And we should be doing that as we move throughout life. We should be an ambassador of the king and we should be reaching out to the lost. And they should be following the Lord. And following the Lord will look like serving Him. Worshiping with His people. You know? And so, I encourage you today, like, that, that is where we need to be. We are announcers of the kingdom. We take the message and then we are sent out with it, as you'll see with the disciples. So, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that you would save the lost here. Recover the gospel for those who are saved here and help them carry it to the nations. In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.